0: AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T
1: Threat Track.
2: So Ganesh, I, I hear there's a new vulnerability for Microsoft DNS.
1: The vulnerability was in the Microsoft Windows DNS server, which is basically Microsoft implementation of DNS in their Microsoft ecosystem. Uh, this has been actually found like a couple of months ago by one of the researchers from, um, uh, I believe, um, from the Research Checkpoint Labs, and they informed uh, informed Microsoft Microsoft team, and they actually came up with a patch last week, like a few days ago, to address this issue. But what was the issue was uh, the issue seems to be a, a relevant for since the last seventeen years in Windows DNS server and it has the capability similar to WannaCry, which can be vulnerable in the sense without any user interaction, it can propagate to vulnerable systems within the corporate environment as well as spanning to other networks. Uh, And actually, this has been given a CV number of 2020, 1350, but the the kicker here is a CVS score of 10. Uh, For example, in comparison, when WannaCry came, Microsoft given it a CVS score of 8.5, whereas this vulnerability has given the full 10 out of 10 scoring uh, scoring. Uh, these researchers actually uh, named this as a vulnerability SIGRED. Uh, why they named it SIGRED is basically, because SIG is basically, it's part. It's an abbreviation for CIG, signature. When some of DNS uh, request is happening, uh, they, they found sim, uh, Certain wait basically trick some sort of um, buffer wall for vulnerability when the signature is uh, tricked off. that's why they call it the signature red uh, what happens is when this particular particular situation has been triggered off it can it can grant into remote code execution and vulnerability which in turn gives maybe some sort of um, uh, malicious code execution on the dns servers what happens is Uh, Because we all know DNS servers work in the context of system privileges, which in turn basically gives any attacker, any bad actor, complete control to the domain, which of the domain the DNS server is actually responsible for. That makes it a a very critical rating. I think that's one of the reasons Microsoft given is the highest rating possible. Uh, How is this, uh, how is this affects? i think before the patch release uh, microsoft given a workaround with the dn uh, uh, i mean um, the registry changes which will basically be which will m- m- minimize the effect of dns servers in this case only the dns servers are affected not any dns clients only the vulnerability was in the dns servers what happens is uh, when a dns response is larger than 64 kilobytes of the signature record that this particular vulnerability actually happens. That's why the name came as cigarette. What what is this? I mean in order to explain a little bit, I think we have to touch base for a very brief period of time about DNS truncation. DNS truncation is we all know actually DNS uses the port 53 of our UDP as well as the TCP, TCP. Typically, the UDP requests have a limitation of 512 bytes of uh, size in the request, whereas TCP component has 65,535 kilobytes, which is larger. Which, which is larger? But what happens is, but most of the times it's it's true unless it has like EDNS. Uh, uh, EDNS has been configured with the DNS server. In that case, uh, the size of the packet could be 4096 bytes. But irrespective of most of them, we have 512 bytes of limit. What happens is, in order to trigger this one, they will send a uh, signature, uh, I mean, uh, sig-read vulnerability on UDP port and with the truncation. Because the, po- the size of the packet is larger than 512 bytes, I think a DNS server responds with uh, switch over to TCP to send the rest of the packet size. I think that's how this kind of uh, this vulnerability triggers up. Uh, and when they sent 65, larger than 65, 35 bytes, they could be able to crash the, some of the Microsoft Windows servers. What, kind of, what, what levels of DNS servers are vulnerable? It seems as per the Microsoft, uh, actually, advisory, any versions from 2002 to, uh, 2003 to, to 2019 are vulnerable, and any of the afterwards are not vulnerable. But good thing is the patch is available at the uh, end of last week, and uh, whoever is running Microsoft DNS servers, they should do the patching as soon as possible to protect from themselves. But I have some indications of how this port, I mean, the theory for TCP port 53 is also used, can be detected from a common backbone graph. In this case, what I'm showing is a um, number of scan sits, like a Unix scan sits on port TCP 53 TCP. In a given hour of time. Uh, Basically, uh, X X is the timeline and Y is how many scans SIPs are seen in particular hour. As you can see around in the last few days, uh, I think uh, right after 7.16, 7.15 time frame, there there was a huge spike in jump in the number of uh, scan SIPs on this port, which indicates basically what it means is basically around that time, Uh, The patch has been applied, and uh, also the information has been uh, completely, I think, uh, propagated All the parties in the Internet. Maybe people are picking up this article and this about the cigarette. They were reading about it. Maybe some researchers as well as the bad actors, they started poking on this port. And that's the the reason I think we saw about three to four times jump in the scans. It's happening on this uh, specific 53 TCP port.
2: I, I thought it was a really interesting article, and I think uh, you can correct me if I'm I'm wrong, but it seemed like there were a couple of ways. They said if you can't patch this immediately, there's a few ways you can mitigate uh, the risk, and I think one mm-hmm. of them actually said uh, blocking HTTP requests over port 53, because even though it would, it, it's actually going to um, do the same type of thing as the. What we just showed with the the tcp that it's essentially going to overflow
1: yeah that the researchers i think they actually like you said can they they did like i think three to four variations of this attack like like you said uh, 53 over http as well as uh, they also made some manipulations to the size of the packet request and they came up with some solution i mean some ways to basically trigger this one yeah, they are, uh, Microsoft advised to have some sort of uh, registry key changes as well as limiting HTTP or TCP to some sort of uh, actually the restriction in the size of the packet or the request in this case. But uh, yeah, I mean, those will be helpful uh, if the people are still not able to apply the patch yet. I think those, those countermeasures can be put in place, but I think uh, patches are available uh, at I think it's uh, prudent and advisable to do this patching as soon as possible because of the highest possible CVS rating.
0: But yeah, I thought it was very interesting point when you brought up the DNS truncation since the since UDP protocol limits the size um, the size of the packet you can send. So I thought it was a mm-hmm. pretty innovative, innovative way the researchers were able to use DNS truncation to send the larger payload size to trigger the heap overflow.
1: It's a, it's a good read to understand how they proceeded. Like Ken pointed out, they used HTTP as one of the vector to achieve the same buffer overflow. Not only that, like you said, truncation, they leveraged UDP for first, then actually they switched over to TCP because uh, I think this is also one of the reasons I think uh, they can reuse the sessions uh, sessions constantly, even it's teared down because UDP is connectionless, I think TCP helped them out to basically achieve a much bigger impact.
0: Hey, Ken, I hear you have a story about a bad power attack that affects, that affects fast charging devices.
2: Yeah, so yeah, I think we're all pretty familiar with, with fast charging at the moment. Uh, we all are probably, uh, Used to a scenario where we need to charge our phone or our tablet or whatever our our device we need to charge, and we need it now and we need it to be charged now. And so a lot of us have started relying on these fast chargers that will essentially um, negotiate with the device to find out what's the maximum voltage that the device can take. Is it the standard uh, 5 volts? Is it 12? Is it 20 or even higher? And what will happen? is once that negotiation is complete, our devices will then charge at the negotiated voltage. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what these these researchers found out, um, researchers from Tencent was that if in a certain, there's quite a few of these devices, uh, these fast chargers where if you um, put an infected device of some sort up against it, you can actually overwrite the firmware within the fast charger so that the next person or set of people that come and use the charger, uh, it will overload that voltage. So it won't do that negotiation. It might just say instead of the default five, we'll do 20. And so what will happen is you'll start to overheat um, the, the receiving device, and that can ultimately lead to things like uh, overheating of the device. It might shut off uh, or even as far as melting uh, smoke even even fire in some cases so you'll you can completely destroy a device in this this proof of concept case and what i found really interesting in reading about this was that when the researchers went back and looked a lot of the fast charging devices while it comes with default firmware a bunch of the devices don't have the ability to update the firmware, so while the the, the researchers were able to overwrite the firmware to give a new default to that charge, uh, there was no way for the actual manufacturer to put out an update to limit what that maximum could be on on that negotiation so it was it's really interesting then to see that people are probably thinking, oh well, I have this great wireless charger. I, I don't need to worry about updating software on that. It, it doesn't directly connect to the Internet. And that, that became a really interesting way of how to actually spread this. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, the, the target's device that, that you hack. It, it could be an actor could just have a piece of bad malware on, say, a burner device, and they could go up and put it on the fast charger, and within, you know, a few seconds or however long it takes to overwrite the the firmware, it'll go ahead and update that, and they just walk away with that device. And the next person who comes and decides to fast charge, they're now susceptible to, uh, to that overload attack or bad power, as as it was named. Um, so, what they recommended was that the manufacturers need to put in a way uh, so that the the maximum voltage, it doesn't exceed whatever the the receiving device can actually get. Uh, And then the other very simple thing it recommended, uh, and this, this, I guess, was a little surprise to me, but I guess it shouldn't be, is that if you don't have a fast charging compatible device, don't use it with a fast charger. so you think, okay, that makes sense, but I, I guess there's plenty of people who say, oh, I'm in a rush, let me just put my phone down on this, on this charger, and it'll, it'll fast charge when their device isn't compatible with it. So while it hasn't been exploited in the wild, to me it was a really interesting case of uh, almost like something out of a movie, uh, you know, where someone comes by, does a little um, drive-by of just dropping a device, picks it back up, walks away. And no one, no one can really tell that anything happened. Um, but it, it's, it's just another way of showing that you know, we need to be wary and understanding of who the manufacturers are of these uh, fast charge devices, or really any device that we're plugging our, our phones into, or our tablets, or, or any device, uh, so that we can be better prepared for, for these types of things.
1: So basically, in this scenario, the owner's responsibility is on the manufacturers. Am I right? If I say that, like for example, some sort of overheat uh, protection built into the firmware itself. For example, right. uh, you know, even some bad actor actually be able to manipulate the firmware. But if they have some sort of overheat uh, protection, uh, mm-hmm. it switch off something like that.
2: I okay. think that was exactly the the recommendations of. Uh, of the researchers was to sit there and say for for these manufacturers to go ahead and put a limit on on what the maximum is or on that negotiation of what's mm-hmm. the maximum and making sure that uh, it can't go over what the device can can take. Now, mm-hmm. one other point was that it wasn't in every manufacturer uh, that they found this problem. I think it said they they checked over 230 types of devices or, or wow. fast chargers. And it came out that I think it was approximately 20 that, that had this issue, uh, but they shared eight common manufacturers. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, when you do the, the math on that, you sit there and say, okay, that's, it's not all of them, but it's, it's enough where, you know, maybe it's, it's, um, we don't know the scale of the availability of those uh, those approximately twenty device types. You know, it could be they're they're the most twenty mm-hmm. used, or they're yeah. uh, they're the least twenty used. I guess it's less less of a an issue, but uh, you don't know how many are out there.
1: Did they did they list the number of uh, I mean the manufacturers or the device which are vulnerable?
2: Sometimes? I I did a a quick look for it, and they didn't. Call anybody out. Um, okay. I found a couple of articles on this, and there was there was no one explicitly mentioned. Um, the one takeaway from one of the articles I saw uh, said that you know make sure you're buying your fast charger or really any device from a mm-hmm. reputable manufacturer. So it yeah. could be maybe it's a, a third party or some uh, the smaller lesser known group of manufacturers, but. Without knowing,
1: we can't say for certain. Well, definitely I have to watch while charging up right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I consider this type of vulnerability a cyber physical system security issue and I feel a lot of uh industrial control systems and cyber physical systems are kinda of overlooked in the cybersecurity in cybersecurity nowadays a little bit. And I think if you kind of take this concept and how it's kind of related to uh, cell phone charging and kind of it to a larger industrial control system, like a power plant, that being um, manipulating firmware to um, increase more voltage output in a larger industrial control system, like a power system could be very dangerous, not alone, um, not just only to the people working there, but also to all the endpoints and homes that receive power from the factory.
2: Yeah that's that's a really good point Chris and it's it's something that uh now that this type of proof of concept thing is out there just like you said what other areas could something like this be uh, be applied to so it's 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 an interesting read when we see something that's specific to oh how we charge our devices but then when you scale that up to something like how a whole industrial center might run or another type of you know maybe a manufacturing plant or something like that uh, the repercussions could be could be real from that type of overload it's not just a one yeah. lost device
1: hey chris uh, uh, i think you have a story about uh, interesting fishing fishing uh, scam uh, leveraging to be from uh, PR for cloud providers would you like to elaborate a little bit on on this phishing scan yes yeah,
0: so there's a new phishing campaign going around that pretends to be from a help desk uh, service s.com and they are sending through in an intermediary uh, called cn.trackhawk.pro domain but the uh, difference in this type of phishing campaign that's not being picked up by spam filters is that the from and received by domain is the same. So they both reference the servicedesk.com domain. So a lot of spam filters are not picking this up and sending the email straight to a user's inbox, making it more likely that the phishing campaign would be more successful. And on top of that, these adversaries are using legitimate cloud hosting services such as IBM cloud and azure microsoft azure and microsoft dynamics so when in, when a user inspects the so, um, inspects the website it comes up with a, a valid domain and they don't expect it's from an attacker because it has a microsoft or ibm cloud hosting domain so when a user clicks on one of these links in the email they're brought to a uh, a website that's that is a test your password strength website and some people have been unfortunately entering their passwords in there and the adversaries on the back end are able to steal the user's authentication passwords and there's a couple scenarios of how this attack may have been um, exploited Uh, One method is that the servicedesk.com service could have been exploited, but, however, since there is an intermediary in there, the cn.trackhawk.pro domain, it's most likely that the adversaries are sending the emails from the trackhawk.pro domain and forging the servicedesk domain, and because of this, they're successfully able to forge the servicedesk domain and bypass the spam filters. And like I mentioned before, the, the cloud hosting makes it seem a little more legitimate. So it, it looks like it may pass through more spam filters that way, too.
1: It seems interesting. I mean, you explained the scenario. Most likely, they are forging the email addresses and they're trying to pass the spam filters. Maybe that's the reason they could be able to match the sender and receiver address. I think that's how it's sends uh, that makes it a little bit uh, difficult uh, for a, for a user to differentiate between a spam and not spam. I think uh, that's what that's what they're re- relying on it to basically a user to click on it and harvest the credentials. Um, how do how do what would be the countermeasures? Maybe the different ways to detect this one, like use of SPF, uh, what's other DMACC or something like that. It th- those things might help in this case.
0: Yeah, I would think so. I think maybe a deeper mm-hmm. packing inspection would help, especially to be able to pick up that tracktalk.pro domain since it is coming mm-hmm. from an intermediary. A lot of, more, I, would, I should say, most legitimate emails probably won't come through um, an, intermediary, an intermediary domain like that.
2: And I've, I found it really interesting that they're using uh, the what could very well be the, the same hosting provider as say their their target uh, to give that extra credence of uh, validity to you know maybe it's coming if you go to look at something or inspect something you might say oh this is hosted in XYZ hosting service but we use XYZ hosting service therefore it it must be the the actual the actual thing so it it seems like it's another good way to to uh, try to fool people and just makes you put your guard up a bit more. Did it Did it say if there were any other um, hosting providers? It, it seems like they, they were pretty good at naming uh, the, the big ones. I wasn't sure if there were any others included.
0: Yeah, the article didn't specify any other spe- uh, specific ones. The main three were Microsoft Azure, IBM Cloud, and Microsoft Dynamics. And in, from an economical standpoint, all those uh, third-party cloud providers—they even provide free SSL encryption mm-hmm. on their web pages. So most likely, if I know when I see an HTTP site, HTTP site, I just completely ignore it and not go to it. But being HTTPS, HTTPS also may would make users more inclined to click on the link.
1: Good afternoon. Now we'll take a look at the internet weather for this week, um, ending yesterday, July 20th. Uh, the graph here, what we are showing is that the top 10 most port floats as of yesterday. Um, on the rank side, how, how it does happen is basically you have a rank and the port number. What What's the position of that uh, port number, what we are seeing for the last week? And how much the change or deviation happened since last time? We have seen this port. Uh, For for instance, in the top one is 443, which is uh, HTTPS, and we all know it's a secure version of HTTP. But uh, it's also heavily used nowadays. Uh, The change is uh, basically mm, there's nothing changed actually since last week's in the top position. Same goes with the second port, 23 TCP, which is Telnet, and 445 SMB. Four is ICMP. Uh, but we move on to 1433. Actually, if you look at the top six ports, actually they kind of stayed in their places. Nothing moved. That that tells basically, I and mean, uh, we have to understand this: 443, 23, 22, 80. These are all the typically heavily used ports on the internet for various reasons, right? For connectivity, uh, for example, 23 is for Telnet, but uh, it's most oftentimes used by botnets to looking for vulnerable devices. And uh, at number eight is 3389, which is a RDP Remote Desk Protocol, and 81 is actual alternate HTTP, but it's also infamously used by lots of IoT-based botnets. Uh, and at the bottom of the sum up, it's 8545 TCP, which is a Ethereum port. Uh, which is one of, uh, I think, a uh, cryptocurrency-related port, and we have talked about this port to be constantly up and down, uh, but it actually gained from one position from last week to sneak into the top ten position.
2: No, it, it seems like it was fairly consistent with the week before, uh, with at least mm-hmm. in the top ten, not not a whole lot of of
1: movement, mm-hmm. which is.
2: It's always a little interesting when, when you don't see a whole lot of movement. Usually we see a few things pop up and down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I, I, want, to, I want to talk in the next me Maybe I'll, I'll take this opportunity to at least talk about 443 and 23. Right now, I think uh, the 443 TCP as a top position is that we all know recently there was a big vulnerability in big IP F5. Uh, of course, it's been patched. I think uh, since few weeks, there is a. Renewed interest actually looking for uh, vulnerable big IP FI devices, I think most likely some of this traffic might be related to 443. And 23 TCP, it's, it's by all the IoT bot, especially Mirai, Mubot. all these actually are constantly looking for 23 as well as 22 TCP. 445, uh, uh, we all been seeing for since long time. I mean, uh, with the little analysis, I then it seems like uh, looking for a vulnerable 445 TCP. Uh, for example, WannaCry, as well as BlueKeep, all these uh, SMB-related uh, vulnerabilities being scanned and 445. I think that's one of the reasons that these, these ports are constantly staying up. But I, but as you pointed out, Ken, I think uh, it is, uh, maybe only few occasions where we have seen at least more than top half of the top words remain the constant since a couple of weeks. Now uh, let's take a look at the most sources probing. We will look at the top 10 again here. Uh, what the most sources probing indicate is basically if there is a increase in the sources happening on any particular port, most oftentimes it eludes to some sort of a new vulnerability or maybe some sort of expert come up, and bad actors are looking for that specific port as well as maybe a botnet is looking for the specific port with the new features added in. Those are the things actually which will be reflected from looking at this most sources probably. Uh, For example, if we go back to the story we were looking at the um, Sigred, there we we kind of looked at 50 through TCP and the increase in the scan sources actually signifies um, actually, uh, interest for looking for uh, that specific port with respect to cigarette. I think th- that's how we could able to correlate with some sort of uh, probing happening. Uh, again, let's talk uh, ta- ta- start with the top ports: four, four, five, twenty-three TCP. Again, uh, as we discussed before, I think uh, they're related to big IP as well as IoT related devices. Uh, number three is eight to TCP, which is actually. Uh, one of the ports used by microtub device routers, at 1433 I skip over, and uh, the number seven is 8728-TCP, which is, again, another port used by Micro, microtic routers for uh, administrative purposes. Uh, I would uh, I would uh, go a little bit deeper with some sort of uh, graphs from our common bag activity, looking at uh, 8291, as well as 8728, looking at uh, both of them at the same time. And ending at the 10 is 53 UDP. I think most likely this scanning could be related to cigarette exploit, uh, initial packet request. Maybe at some point we will also see 53 TCP jumping into the top 10, top 10 rankings here. Uh, that being said, uh, let me take to the couple of graphs to explain what I wanted to tell how the correlation exists between these 2 microtic routers. Okay, uh, here, uh, here we are looking at the last 30 days of activity happening on these two ports, 8728, as well as eight two nine nine 8728 is typically used for a microtop box and 8291 as APA ports. These typically used for management, management purposes for the microtop devices, excuse me. Uh, what we are looking here is, on the x-axis, we have the timeline in the, since the last 30 days. And on the y-axis, we have the number of unique sources we, we are seeing per hour. Uh, for example, if you look at uh, around a third week, or maybe end of uh, June, actually, we see a big, a big spike in jump in uh, 8, 8, 8728, uh, Please remember, actually, this graph is a stacked graph in the sense, actually, 8 uh, 8291, 8728, they both are put on top of each other to show the relation between both the ports. I, uh, uh, well, of course, for certain times, most often times you can see actually these two ports are either spiking up or coming down and maybe the traffic seems to be at the same levels, almost all the same times. So, uh, that's the reason I wanted to put it in a stack to show, that, uh, show the difference and also compare and contrast easily
2: yeah it's really it's really interesting Ganesh how they they almost have you know obviously the scale is much different, but they almost mm-hmm. have the exact same jumps and and valleys it, like obviously they you said they're both uh, microtech routers but I wonder if it's you know you need to find something on eighty two ninety one and then look for something on eighty seven twenty eight or um, if it's mm-hmm. just the maybe the same
1: type of vulnerability. Uh, sometimes, actually, it's a, combi- uh, it's a combination of both. I believe, based on uh, some information we have in the past, uh, like I think uh, maybe a few months ago, maybe um, maybe end of last year, there were multiple vulnerabilities and microtech devices, which can be triggered by I think uh, six or seven vulnerabilities. They can be the way they can be triggered is they can be dicey chain. For example, in case of dicey chain vulnerability, I think. Uh, you first, as you pointed out, you leverage 8 to 91 TCP. From there, you pivot into the next port, something like that. In that scenario, I think like uh, Winbox and API ports almost goes in hand in hand because of the admin interfaces they provide.
0: Do we know why that the scans have uh, recently picked up? It looks like at end of June, because it looks like the beginning of the month there were not many scans on these two ports, and then really picked up and kind yeah, of slowed okay. down a little bit.
1: Here, the different view of uh, the, these two parts in this scenario, we were looking at the scan sets instead of the flows in the previous port. But the, to drive the point, the increase happened at the same time. Um, what happened around this time? Uh, around this time, actually, there was a large DDoS attack noticed by Akamai. I think uh, they said about 800 to 900 uh, packets per second. Pay. Was the traffic they were able to identify and scrub it? I think uh, uh, while we're looking in our in our analysis, what we found is uh, in, during this time there was one specific botnet happened. I think that was responsible for these uh, large DDoS attack in this time frame, which was a Mubot, which is a derivative of maybe a variant of Mirai. Uh, basically, Mubot uh, took the source code, maybe they modified the most of the features from Mirai and they converted into more like a DDoS botnet. What it was doing is uh, in that uh, data, uh, Mubot actually uses uh, various IoT devices. Uh, some of the devices it, use, it used was uh, Mirai, uh, I mean, micro based devices, uh, some ATGs, uh, I, I think ATG, I meant to say automated tank gauges. Like, like if you take it, they're all different types of IoT devices. I think uh, by by seeing this uh, increase here, uh, most likely the activity is related to that Moobot botnet performing some sort of DDoS. But based on our visibility, I think uh, we could uh, uh, correlate a little bit uh, loosely with that activity related to to the largest DDoS attack happened at that time. And since then after two, after some time, actually kind of uh, tapered down, but uh, as you see, uh maybe a week after each time there are smaller and smaller DDoS attack kind of thing i think uh, in the in the in the last few weeks also there are also some sort of smaller scale attacks have happened by the movebot based actors so i believe uh, this activity somewhat relates to the movebot based DDoS attack so hope uh, I, I think that explains over your, your question chris
0: yes yeah it's very interesting I'm always very interested in the unusual ports, like eight, like this one, 8728, rather than the kind of tip, uh, run-of-the-mill uh, 443 scans, 53, 22. Those are usually pretty common. So I think it's really interesting to dig into mm-hmm. why these ports are popping up.
1: Yeah. Uh, if, we, if we expand on the Ken story, I mean, Ken said uh, patches, right? There are some, some devices uh, it's not easy to patch. Uh, for example, these are... Uh, router devices. Not a typical user usually goes and checks for patches and patches them. That's the reason these IoT devices are so fond for these botnet operators. They always like to have these IoT devices into arsenal and basically to perform these kind of nefarious activities.
2: Ganesh, just, just one point on, on that is mm-hmm. it's interesting too because oftentimes these IoT devices, they're a device that isn't only difficult to get to maybe physically, um, mm-hmm. but it might be running something or connecting something that can't necessarily um, be out of service for an extended period of time to update it. So it's it becomes another uh, kind of critical area in that regard of what happens if we take this out to update it.
1: Yeah, that's the challenges. I think uh, that's what uh, they're trying to explore, here, you know. The more more time it takes to patch a system, a device, I think uh, the longer a botnet can survive. The views
0: expressed on at and Threat Track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of at and or any other person or entity.